Thanks for listening to the Campus Collective Podcast. As always, we pray that this resource is a helpful supplement for you as a follower of Jesus and as an active member in your local church. We love God's design for His church, and we believe that this resource could never substitute the incredible things that come from active involvement with a community of believers. Campus Collective is a ministry of Huntington Community Church. To learn more, visit our website at HuntingtonCommunityChurch.com. We're going to be in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21 tonight. So if you have a Bible, hopefully you are you brought one. You can be turning there. If you don't have a Bible, we should have all of the verses that you'll need um, on the screen. I also was at fall retreat, and I am really sore. Um, I Man, the, the night game, I, if you don't know, there's a night game we play called Glow Stick Battle Spy. And... It's one of the greatest games, honestly, of all time. And it's a really cool game where you have two teams, it's, pitch, it's completely dark, one team is on one side of the camp, the other team's on the other side of the camp, and you have glow sticks, and you're trying to put your glow sticks in the other team's trash can at all costs, okay? That's the idea. And I decided to do this strategy. This has nothing to do with the sermon, by the way. I just feel like I need a group process. Um, I had this strategy where I was gonna go completely alone in the dark for about 30 minutes with one glow stick and just try to score. And so I went around the creek, just like her creek, and was going way, way around. It took me forever. I was finally like crawling up like through the through the bush, and I'm looking and I see Sydney Folks guarding her post for the base. And I hear her say, I think I see a skull over there. And I'm like, oh this is good. Like she thinks that I'm really creepy, but you know, it's a skull. And then eventually, um, she just keeps saying out loud, I think Dustin's over there, I think Dustin's over there. It was a big bummer, my cover's blown. So I let go and I slide all the way back down the hill. And I go, keep going deeper and deeper to try to get back around. Eventually, cover is blown, so I have to sprint. And I was sprinting, um, I was fast, I used to be able to sprint, and was running, and all of a sudden, it was completely dark, okay? So this is really difficult to do. I'm running, and I'm running, and all of a sudden, the terrain is going uphill all of a sudden. So like, I was flying, and I'm like, oh no, going, going, going. And then I see the base, and I'm like, oh man, it's about to score, it's score for my team. And then uh, I absolutely face plant onto asphalt, which I did not know was there, because it was dark, I'd never been to that camp before. Um, and anyways, it was a lot of fun, but I am legitimately limping and sore. Oh yeah, and then, Melcher just mercilessly gets me out after I've fallen on the asphalt. It's messed up, dude. Um, but yeah, I, I just felt like I needed to say that. It was an absolute blast. I hope you guys, if you did get to go, you'll get to come next year and sign up for Big Moose. That's going to be a great time, and it's called Big Moose. So it's going to be an awesome time. Um, the title of, of tonight, there's literally no transition there. I can't get that to Ephesians. Um, the, the title of tonight is... Great need, great God, big prayer. Great need, great God, big prayer. And I think this passage in Ephesians is actually aimed at just making us sit tonight underneath these realities. That we are really, really needy. We need God. Jesus says we can't do anything apart from him. We need God. We have a great need. Also, to meet that great need, we have a great God. And then I think as Paul is considering these two things, he's writing the book of Ephesians to the church there at Ephesus, 
And he just pins what is this incredible, big, big prayer. And if you remember last week, we said that it kind of started the prayer a little bit, and then he got sidetracked and went off into a distraction on the gospel mission. At this week, he actually picks back up what he was going to pray about. Um, Jana says this all the time and it encourages me, and I hope it can kind of centralize what we're trying to go after tonight. She always says that prayer is not a part of ministry. Prayer is the ministry. And I think that's what Paul is getting at. There's a lot of things he could have written the Ephesian church about, but instead he decides to not just pray for them, but to write the prayer of what he is praying for them in the midst of persecution, in the midst of trying to grow and spread the gospel in this city, all of the pressures of life, all of these things. Instead of saying, there's three easy steps to get out of this thing or five ways to be a better this, he just opens up his heart and lets us see what a God-inspired prayer for the people of God looks like. If you remember, the title of the series was In Christ We Live. And we said that the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians is about what it means to be in Christ. One of the deepest realities in the entire universe. And we get tastes of all that is true because of this. And once we do, once we see it, once it changes our heart direction and our mind, it changes us forever. There's a list of things that are true about you um, of being in Christ. And you're not going to keep notes on this. I'm going to go fast. Because you're in Christ, you are a saint. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing. You were chosen from the foundation of the world. You are blameless and holy in God's sight. You're adopted into God's family. You have redemption through his blood. You are forgiven of your sins. You have been given the mystery of the gospel in full. You have an inheritance in heaven. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's just chapter 1 of Ephesians. Paul keeps going. He says, you were dead, now you're alive in Christ. You are seated in the heavenly places in Christ. You're being shown kindness and grace. You are his workmanship being prepared for good works that he has already designed for you. You were far, now you're close to God. You now have peace with God. You're reconciled to God and each other. You're fellow members of the household of God, and you are part of God's holy temple. All of this because God decided to open your heart to these realities and make you alive with him Forever. And that's just like Ephesians, okay? We're talking an entire New Testament and Old Testament promises of the, explaining the reality of what it means that now if you have trusted Christ for salvation, you are in him, and it's mysterious, and it's deep, but it will change you forever if you press into these things. And then, this, that's the first part of the title. Second part, we live. Chapters 4 through 6 of Ephesians. So starting next week for the rest of the semester, we see the we live part of this sermon series. And here's a, a few of the topics that we're going to be covering. Um, it's kind of interesting. Like Ephesians goes so deep and then 4 through 6, it gets so practical. So we're going to see things like this. How to live as the church. How to live moral lives as new creations in Christ. How to imitate God. How to live pure lives. How to be husbands and wives. How to parent how to be good bosses and good employees, and how to fight spiritual battles. Now, I can't wait for that. If you just going to skip the rest of the semester, I would beg you to come back when we're in Ephesians 6, because that chapter is blowing me up. Um, to think about the implications that we have a warrior savior fighting for us, we are going to have so much fun in that passage. But the beautiful part, I want you to see, the reason I'm going over this, I want you to see something. 
But the beautiful part about walking with Jesus is that these deep realities do change you significantly. But living these things out is always simple, radical obedience to him that makes us very different than the rest of the world. Simple acts of loving God and loving others is how we live out being in Christ. So the last three chapters, four, five, and six, before Christmas break, will show us specifics of what that looks like. But before we get there, we've got to finish the in Christ part tonight. And I said, he, Paul gets off the gospel distraction. We get to see what Paul's mind was full of, but tonight we get to see what his heart is full of. And we will see that deeply knowing God is the goal of ministry. And it's, listen, it's not just so that you'll be better at ministry. You got to hear that. Point of ministry is so that people deeply know God. And it's not just so that you can know him deep, just so you are good at ministry. It is true that God is using all of you for ministry. But remember that God is using all things in your life, including ministry, to get to you. He wants your heart. And I think whenever we forget about prayer and what it represents, we lose intimacy with God. And whenever we lose intimacy with God, we're not only spiritually damaging ourselves, we're actually damaging other people. And I think that's why Paul pauses and shows us what a deep prayer life looks like. And I'll be honest, in the sake of transparency this evening, this is something that I've missed. For a long time, and even at times, maybe most of the time this semester, it's something that I've gotten wrong. Most of my alone time with God feels like a missional strategy session instead of communion with my father. And I would never do this with my own son. Okay? It's three and a half months old. There's no way I'm cuddling with him on the couch and we're going to start strategizing about how we're going to pay for his college. <laughs> we wouldn't do that. What do I want whenever I just want time with him? I want to hug him. I want to see him smile and make that weird high-pitched dinosaur noise thing that he does. If you know him, you've heard it. But I just want him to be with me and love me and experience and respond to my love. And I need you to hear this. This is the essence of a relationship with God. It's the essence of prayer. It's not just to ask him things to help you do your things. It's so that you would know him deeply. Great need, great God, big prayer. Let's look at it, 314. Paul says this, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So we finally get to see what Paul was starting to write and pray about before he got distracted by the gospel. So, for this reason, because of all of these deep realities that are true, that he has been writing, because of Christ, what does Paul do? He prays. This should be a lesson before the lesson. The appropriate reaction to these things is to pray and to worship and be with God. And we're going to beat that drum over and over and over again tonight. Because if you are not first a worshiper of God, but you are first just a student or you're a, even, at, gosh, most dangerous, you're just a ministry person, but you're not a worshiper of God, you will miss it. Sin will look sweet. Suffering will be unattainable. Nothing will make sense if you do not see your life as meant to worship God. So when Paul goes deep, then he says, for this reason, 
It doesn't say, for this reason I go plant churches. For this reason I go do a bunch of Paul the Apostle type stuff. For this reason, I bow my knees. He wants your heart before your actions. And this is not a guilt trip to go pray more. This is an invitation to the heart of God. It's what he wants for us. For this reason, I bow my knees. So I'm imagining Paul, his knees, knees are probably scarred up at this point. No doubt he's been beaten in this prison. I love that he still gets down on his knees to pray to God and love this church. So what does this show us about prayer already? The posture of prayer should be humility. Now, you don't have to be on your knees for the prayer to count. But you do have to be humble and needy for prayer to have its full effect. So even right off the bat, for this reason, because of these things, what I'm going to do, I'm going to pray, I'm going to bow my knees. Humble reverence to God. Doesn't just stop there, though. He says, bow my knees before the Father. And he prays before his Heavenly Father. He appears in humility before a God in Heaven who is his Father. Um, I want to take a quick tangent here just because I've got these questions before and I think it'll be interesting at least, or if it's not, then you can tune out the next two minutes. Um, a quick note on praying to a God who is one God in three persons. So if you're a Christian, what you believe is that God is a trinity. You maybe heard that word before. That's God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And we actually see, hinted at in this verse, but all throughout the New Testament, what the common kind of grain of prayer is for the people of God. So we just write this down. You can talk about it later. But when we, when we pray, the normal pattern of the New Testament is that we pray to the Father in the name of the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Just what... The, the writers of the New Testament like to show us that when we pray, we're going to a Father on the basis of Christ's righteousness and the power of His Spirit. Now, listen, it's not wrong to pray to Jesus. It's not wrong to pray to the Holy Spirit. I just want to give you a quick note on how prayer usually worked in the New Testament because I think it's intentional. The main thing that God wants us to see about prayer is that He is a good, loving Father that wants to meet our needs. So this verse shows us two great realities about prayer. If you're taking notes, you want to write this down. Two things. Because it says, bow my knees, and also says before the Father, two things. First one is this. Our great neediness. Humility. Desperation. We're on our knees. Surrender. Number two. It shows us our great God. So you need to ask yourself, if you do not have the prayer life that you think you should, you need to stare these realities in the face and ask yourself hard questions. Do you not see your need for God? Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. We need God for our very lives. You need to ask, if you're not a person who is quick to pray, quick to turn to Him, quick to go to Him, do you just not see yourself as very needy? Maybe you're prideful. Maybe you think you've got this whole life thing on your own. Or maybe you do not see how great he is. And he loves us this much. That he lets us be with him. Because if you see these realities rightly, the only response is to be a praying person. So let's see how in this prayer God addresses, or Paul addresses his heavenly father. It says this, before the father, verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So, why this truth about God? 
Why should this fuel our prayers? What does this say about God and us? Here's the first thing. Here's what it says about God, this little phrase. First, it shows us that God is sovereign. He is the one who names us all. Every family, every creature, he is in complete control. This is the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. This shows us that God is far above us. Because if he's the one that somehow in his infinite wisdom can name every person that's ever lived ever, that he is really, really far above us. But it also shows that this God is close to us. If he is naming us all, he is close enough to care about individual names and people and identities. This is great love. It's not just a terrifying thing that God is way above here. And some, like, some of us have trouble, probably can't name everybody in this room. God knows every name of every person alive and in heaven. Every creature under God's sovereign rule. This shows that God intimately cares about his creation. Like, you don't name things that you don't care about. Amen. I think one of the weirdest things is that people name their cars. No offense, if you name your cars, I know some of y'all drove Lucy here, or whatever. <laughs> but I think that's strange. But I know that what it's showing is actually revealing your heart that this car means something to you. It's reliable, whatever, it helped you get to wherever you're going. But there's a reason that you named that car because you, you didn't want to say, yeah, my vehicle out there. You wanted that car to have a name. Or your pets. Whatever other inanimate objects, not that a pet's an inanimate object, but other things in your life that you name, it's because you care. I don't see anybody just has a dog and they're like, that's a nice dog. It's like, yeah, that's a dog. It's a, it's a dog that I live with. Like, no one does that. Why? Why'd you, why'd you name it? Because you care. God knows every name. Here's what it says about us. This shows us that we are deeply cared about, that we are named, that we are known, and that none of this is an accident. God loves us, and this should give us humble confidence. It shows that God is sovereign, He's above us, but He's close. It shows us that we are needy, we are, we are named, we are known, and here's how it fuels our prayers. This should make praying make sense. Why would we pray to a God who's not like this? Either he's the most powerful being ever and doesn't give a rip about people he made, or he cares a lot and he's not powerful enough to do anything about it. But if he's both of these things in full, oh man, and he's our heavenly father, prayer is the only thing that makes sense. And we get to pray to him because he is great. We are needy. So what in the world is Paul praying for? That's just 16 through 19. And this will be the bulk of our time this evening. I'm going to read all of it first just so you can hear it in like a chunk. And then we're going to break it down um, phrase by phrase. Okay. So here's what's Paul praying for. When he says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family on earth and heaven is named. Here's what he's going to pray. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. 
that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Man, that's a good prayer. That doesn't look anything like what I usually pray for. There's a depth here that I long for. But I want you to notice one thing before we go verse, or uh, phrase by phrase. Describes the love of God, or love of Christ, in verse 19. It says, to know, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It seems contradictory, right? It's like, he wants us to know something that's beyond knowledge? This can only mean that we get this, we taste this, we live in this, if God shows up and grants us strength to understand it. So, let me let you know, we're about to go deep right now. This is the depth of the heart of the love of God, and we are going to go through this so that your prayers might be armed and our worship might be loud, so that we would be a people who are overwhelmed by this love. Romans 5.5 5 describes this. We're going to take a quick break. I want to show you another place where Paul writes this to kind of give you an idea of what I think he's going for here. Romans 5.5 5 says this, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. This is what our aim is. I want you to see God's love being poured into our hearts. I want us to leave here experiencing this love. I'm not talking about going beyond theology. You can't go beyond what is true about God to feel some good feeling and call it God's love. But the prayer here is that the truth that we know about God will be set on fire. And that that would burn in our hearts with a joy that we cannot explain and we cannot give categories for. That's what we're going for. When we go to this God in prayer, we want to live out the fullness of who He is. We are talking about a joy and a love that you cannot explain in English words. And I've walked with some of you. I know some of you had moments of this, right? It's that moment when they sing the song that just, man, connects exactly with what you want to pray to God. And it feels overwhelming. And there's peace and there's love and there's joy and it makes no sense at all. Or maybe it comes at the very end of a long mission trip somewhere and you spent yourself out for the glory of God. But then you worship with your team or you're in prayer and it's just this sense where God is letting you know you are mine. That's what this prayer is aimed at. And I think, I know he wants to answer this so if our hearts can be humble tonight and beg him for it as we look through this prayer. We might just get a taste of it tonight. We might see a love that we cannot explain. So let's look at it. Here's what he says. First phrase says that according to the riches of his glory. So this prayer request is not coming from the richness of your theological vocabulary, your moral record, your weaknesses or your failures, your sins or your shortcomings or anything else that has anything to do with you. This is going to be according to his riches. How rich is God? richer than anything, right? We've gone over this in Ephesians 1, that God owns everything, created everything, is the existence and sustainer of all things, meaning, well, he's really rich. And it's according to those riches that he's about to unload something if we will ask for it in faith. Look what he says. According to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Notice, this is something that he must grant 
What are we asking for? What are we wanting God to give us, to grant us, to be strengthened with power in our inner beings? So a few observations here already. Notice this, this, this experience of God that we're wanting comes from outside of us. It's not like you earn your way to a level of God loveliness. This comes from outside of you. And our observation is clearly we need strength and power to understand it. A reminder of how weak we are and probably how honestly overwhelming this love is. And lastly, that it's aimed at our inner being. God is concerned about our inner man, our inner woman. This is crucial because most of our prayers can easily go toward wanting things for our outer man. It isn't wrong, it's just not most important. 2 Corinthians 4.16, I love this verse. Paul's writing again, another letter, it says this, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, so like our bodies, flesh, are dying, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So this verse is in the context of suffering, and it shows us that all of us are dying, but that our souls are becoming more alive, and this only happens through the work of God. So, what are we begging God to do in our inner lives? Back to the verse. Got those parameters in place. Here's what he wants. We should the power through the Spirit in your being. So that, that so there shows us what, what he's talking about. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, if you're a believer, you should be thinking... What in the world? Why do I got to pray for something that's already happened to me, right? Like if we know and follow Jesus, we know that Jesus lives in our hearts. So why would Paul be praying that these people would have Christ dwell in their hearts through faith? And honestly, I'm not sure. But there's a lot of really smart people who wrote books that help me understand. So I'm going to tell you what they said, then we're going to worship about it, okay? Here's what we need. We need his power toward our inner being so that Christ will dwell in our hearts through faith. You're a believer, Christ already lives in you. But when you get to the Greek, you see that the word dwell right there is really, really important. There is a word that means live in that he could have used, okay? He could have used a word that meant live in, but instead he used a word that means to settle down. This is huge for us. It's Christ wanting to set up shop in our hearts, and he wants to move in, and he wants to fix you. This is the difference between someone who was renting a house and buying a house. Christ purchased you, and he is moving in to do work on your heart. So, through these types of prayers, Christ is working on the sins and sufferings that are keeping you from believing and obeying his word. Now listen. Don't let this get mystical and unattainable. God is wanting to create in you someone who obeys him in all circumstances with pure joy and hates sin and kills any sin that is robbing you of that joy. And we need strength to do that. Because in our weakness, we can't make these types of moves toward God. You're not that good. You're not going to want God on your own. But he's saying... Church in Ephesus, I love you. I need you to pray this. It's not, Lord, help them make better choices. Lord, help them to just act better. Lord, help them be good little Christians. It's pray that according to his riches, Christ will dwell in your hearts through faith. 
and he already lives there, but that he would settle in. That you would surrender those things that are holding you back from pure joy in him. That that suffering would, you'd start to squeeze it for all it's worth and see the glories of Jesus even in the darkest times. That's what he's telling us to pray. And we need him to do this in us because we just can't do it. Notice, it says it's through faith, meaning through trust in something outside of us. And this is what prayer is, just an overflow of that faith. And that's when your life becomes worship because Christ has settled down in your heart. And all things and all hard circumstances become just means of worshiping him because he's that dwelled in you. And he keeps going, I love this. Next target of God's love. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Man, this gets good. The next target of God's strength, aiming at your inner lives to change you into someone who's more like Jesus, is aimed at our levels of biblical comprehension. <laughs> this is beautiful. Part of our prayer lives should be begging for strength to understand how loved we are by God. Man, please do not miss this. I feel like this is strength. Is this? How do I do this thing? Pretty soon it's going to be like all the way down there. I'm going to be. Oh, it's going to Is that better? That's perfect. Thanks, man. Just felt it slowly. I'm just going to be like all the way. Okay. <laughs> But don't miss this. That part of what Paul wants you to pray about is for you to understand how loved you are. My goodness. That should never be boring. Ever. That if what maturity in Christ looks like is not someone who just grits their teeth and does a bunch of hard, good, moral things they don't want to do. What he wants for us is that we would know just how loved we are overflowing into a joy that leads us into obedience because we want to. God is for God, but he loves you more than you can even understand on your own. This is why we need strength to comprehend it. It's that good. Think about that. Like You don't need strength to do easy things. Paul's not like, all right, easy one. God loves you. Don't need prayer for that one, really. He's asking us to pray that we'd be able to comprehend this love. And clearly, these dimensions of the love, this is so abstract. It's like, it's like he's intentionally trying to overwhelm us, right? Like, I wish I could tell you how long, high, wide, and heavy love is, okay? But I can't, and I think that's the point. The point is that you cannot over-exaggerate the love of God for us. You can't overhype it. It's that much longer, that much wider, that much better, that much deeper. Just when you think you have it figured out, it's even better than that. And he isn't just wanting you to be able to talk about it or just explain it. He wants you to taste it and see it. God loves you and he wants to move in you and change you so that you can experience his love. My gosh, so many times we think that when we feel convicted for sin, it's God trying to kill our joy. But it's Him trying to kill anything that is attacking your joy. He loves you that much. 
the breadth of the love of God. How wide is God's love? Wide enough to include people of all nations in his family? There isn't one person that God will turn away from coming to him by faith. The gospel works every single time someone repents and believes. So if any of you limped in here and you don't know Jesus, you need to know this love of God that we're singing about is not an exclusive Christian club thing. This love that we're talking about, he displayed in Christ is wide enough to include anyone. Anyone. The breadth of his love was demonstrated at the cross and resurrection. That's how wide. The length of the love of God. How long does it last? How far did he go to demonstrate his love? How long does it last? It never stops. His love covers our past, present, and future sins. Please do not skip over that last part. The sins that you haven't committed yet are already forgiven. My gosh, that's unbelievable. The huge mistakes you haven't made yet. This love is still running ahead of you and already forgiven. Even that, the height of the love of God, how big is this love? His love expands all the way to the heavens where he is, a, he is preparing a place for you. The depth of the love of God. How deep does his love go? His love goes beyond your deepest secrets, your biggest regrets, your most terrible sins. Shame can't stop it. Guilt can't stop it because it's all finished and done for you in Christ. The point of this prayer is for you to know and experience that love in a way that roots you and grounds you in it. If you truly experienced this and lived it, you would sing louder, you would rejoice in suffering, you would share the gospel, you would be unstoppable for the kingdom of God. His power being made perfect in you by his love. Then he keeps going. This just gets better, man. Wait till verse 20. Okay. And to, love, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, you may be filled with the fullness of God. So noticing that this love surpasses knowledge, it must be something that is pursued by faith in prayer. And he wants us to be filled with his fullness. Now, I'll be honest, this is a very hard concept for me to understand. Being filled with the fullness of God. It seems redundant, seems kind of hard to get it. But I do know this, and I am so rigid in my walk with Christ sometimes. And he's calling us to a deeper love and fullness that comes from him. He wants us to be fully mature in him with the love and joy that is only from God. This is amazing that a mature man and a mature woman in Christ is one that is fully secure in love and fully overwhelmed by joy. But we must seek it. This is why we pray. He's not telling you to pray just so you can have a good religious routine. He wants you to know a love that is literally has dimensions somehow. Let's refuse to let our walks with Christ be just knowing theological stuff. We want to love him and obey him and know his fullness. This is the type of life that will show off his glory. Not beyond theology, but that theology set on fire, burning in our hearts with joy. Verse 20. Okay, this type of love. I really thought this sermon would be shorter. Sorry. Um, 
This type of love should lead us to explosive worship, okay? Look at verse 20. Now to him, so it's like Paul gets, gets this all off his chest, okay? And then he's like, all right, this is all about Jesus. We're going to go there. Now to him, Jesus, who was able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory of the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So I want us to spend some time here considering this truth about God, the God we are invited to know deeper and deeper. He is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. But I want you to notice something before we let this verse take us to our wildest dreams of ministry and our wildest dreams of using our lives for the kingdom. Don't worry. I wanted to go there. I can't wait for that part. But before you see that, he says far more abundantly than we ask or think according to the power at work within us. He wants to do these big, incredible things, but he is doing them through ordinary people who are overwhelmed and owned by his love. He is able to do abundantly more than we ask or think in our inner beings. Not just big kingdom stuff. We're talking getting closer to Jesus stuff. Meaning, I really can get over my rigid walk with Christ. I really can stop being anxious. I can have fullness of joy. I can have self-control that leads me to deep dependence on God. You can stop looking at pornography. You can stop caring about what others think. You can stop with that struggle that you won't tell anyone about. And you can overcome that depression because all of this is possible and more because you've probably thought it and you've probably asked it and he can do more than that. And he's doing it by his power that he is working in us. And he's doing it for his glory for the generations to come. So what in the world does that mean? Band, as you come on back up, I want to give you a few thoughts to close our evening. As we become people who are overcome with joy in his love, we need to let our missional imaginations run wild. What could God be calling you to? Who could he be reaching through you? What nation does he want you to use your life to reach? If we're overwhelmed by this love, we will give it all up and experience his love in this way. Let's just give our lives to this great cause. Knowing he can change us and he can use us to change the world for generations to come. And because we will be overwhelmed with his love, we will be in love with him, and we will want him to get all the glory. Man, if we can get it. Like we would never sing the same. We wouldn't wake up the same. We wouldn't approach the Bible the same. We wouldn't talk to our friends the same. If you knew just how loved you were. And he can raise you up from the dead. Whether you walked in here so far from Christ, there's no way you want Jesus. More than what we can ask or think in your life would be him bringing you to faith. He could do it. Or maybe you have wanted nothing to do with Jesus for a long time. You need to know there is nothing that stops his love for you. So we are needy. He is a great God. And this is a big prayer that I know he cannot wait to answer in us. So let's pray. Father, you are the God from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And we are asking right now, as 
a ministry, as individuals who are just seeking you, that according to your riches, you may grant us to be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner beings. Not so that we would look good, Father, but so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that God, you would take up residence in us right now. That we would be rooted and grounded in love and somehow, Father, you would give us strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and this love that surpasses knowledge. Lord, I pray you would fill us with the fullness of your spirit tonight. And God, help us to explode in worship right now. Help us to sing to a God who we believe is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think. According to the, your power that you're working in us, Lord, and we want all the glory in the church, in us, and in Christ throughout all of the generations to go to you alone. That's in Jesus' name we pray.